In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's Paul preaching to the baptized in Colossae. If he were preaching to the baptized here, he might quote our prayer book. We were buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. So set your minds on that. Then he lists some earthly things that we need to bury, starting with fornication and ending with greed. Fornication is a mean old word that once was abused and now is mocked. The word in Greek is porneia, from which we get pornography. Off-screen, porneia is sex unconstrained by love. Bury that, says Paul. Greed is our thirst for more, which could mean more power, attention, or most anything. Money is the main attraction, as Jesus warns in Luke. Man asks him for help in an inheritance dispute. According to the law found in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, the oldest son receives a double portion. This man, the younger son, presumably, asked Jesus to overrule that law, which seems unfair. An unjust law is no law at all, he might have said, anticipating Augustine. Jesus keeps the dispute at arm's length. Who made me your judge? Then he tells the sad story, at least I find it sad, of the wealthy farmer who dies on the day of his retirement. I will say to my soul, you have everything you need. Eat, drink, be merry. The gentleman daydreams just before he croaks. <laughs> Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Thus says the Lord. Pornea and greed are on the old list of seven deadly sins. Sloth, anger, pride, gluttony, and envy are the other five. Sins are passions unconstrained by habits of mind and spirit called virtues. Virtue is a good old word that now is often mocked. It shouldn't be. Virtues are to sin <clears throat> what healthy habits are to sickness, the ounce of prevention that can save us the pound or more for cure. Thomas Aquinas listed seven virtues, four are philosophical, three are theological. Philosophical, from Aristotle, prudence, justice, temperance, and courage and theological from scripture, faith, hope, and love. Philosophical for mind, theological for spirit. Prudence is forethought. If I do this, I'll probably get that. 
jurisprudence is our first defense against the dark arts of porneia. Without prudence and sex, people get hurt. Temperance is what Goldilocks is looking for in bowls of porridge, the mean between too little, too much, too cold, too hot. Greed is an intemperate regard for money. The cultivation of the virtues has been called the cure of souls, a cure like both medicine and salt. So passions are the fuel that power us through life. Mind and spirit are the scouts who climb the tall tree to see what's over the horizon and plot our course. Our lives don't consist in the abundance of possessions, but they do consist in an abundance of these emotional, mental, and spiritual possessions, and they don't croak when we do. I'm recently back from Suma, Sewanee's high school theological debate camp. Our aim in Suma is the cure of souls through the stimulation of the heart and cultivation of the mind. Suma was my idea. My theory was debating can lead to clearer thinking, and clearer thinking opens pathways deeper into faith and hope and love. This year we debated the morality of civil disobedience. Resolved, civil disobedience is morally justified. There were two stipulations. First, that civil disobedience would be understood to exclude violence and potentially to include obstruction of traffic, occupation of buildings, and non-payment of taxes. And second, that the question of its moral justification will be confined to the United States after passage of the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts of 1964 and 1965. That meant we wouldn't be debating whether civil disobedience was morally justified here under Jim Crow or in Hong Kong today. All students take turns debating both the affirmative for and the negative against the resolution. Let me try that. Since there's only one pulpit, I'll debate against myself. And you're the judges. My affirmative case for civil disobedience rests on faith in God. This is Martin Luther King. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in the eternal and natural law, end quote. I agree with King that obeying just laws is our moral duty. Unjust laws aren't laws at all, according to St. Augustine. Being faithful to a higher law, we are right to disobey them. On that, Augustine, Aquinas, and Dr. King agreed. Jesus did too, breaking laws that prevented his healing on the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath was made for man, he saw, not man for the Sabbath. That's true for any law. Dr. King's disobedience was temperate and prudent. By temperate, I mean nonviolent. He didn't want to let it go too far. By prudent, I mean tactical, with a sharp eye out for practical results. He needed the tension caused by civil disobedience to get the results he got, which saved our country. He was asked, how do we know when laws are just or not? He answered, those laws are just that appreciate the value of the human soul. Just laws help humans rise to our potential. Unjust laws are those that work the other way. They damage souls. For the love of God and humankind, we disobey them. Now I switch sides for a negative rebuttal. My faithful case opposing civil disobedience in the United States after 1965 accepts Dr. Cri Dr. King's criterion. Just laws are those that recognize the value of the human being. Our constitutional democracy, the law by which our laws are made, is just by that criterion. There have been few, if any, forms of government that rely more deeply on humanity than ours, which reserves to us the authority and responsibility by ma for making the laws by which we all live. Opposing civil disobedience, Abraham Lincoln said this in 1838 to the Young Men's Lyceum of Springfield, Illinois. We find ourselves under the government of a system of political institutions conducing more essentially to the ends of civil and religious liberty than any of which the history of former times tells us. In that speech, Lincoln shared his fear that disregard for law would undermine our system. Democracy is new. Its success isn't guaranteed. This is Lincoln. If the laws be continually despised and disregarded, if their, rights to, if their rights to be secure in their persons and property are held by no better tenure than the caprice of a mob, the alienation of their affections from the government is the natural consequence, and to that, sooner or later, it must come. With Napoleon in mind, Lincoln said, that is when people start looking for an emperor. So for democracy's sake, we have a duty, Lincoln argued, to obey the law, even bad laws, while we work to better them through the democratic process. I'm quoting, let every American, every lover of liberty, swear by the blood of the revolution never to violate in the least particular the laws of the country and never to tolerate their violation by others. The name of that speech is The Perpetuation of Our Political Institutions. To improve our institutions, which Lincoln did like no one else before or since, we must respect them, even with their flaws and imperfections. 
For the affirmative, I claimed that nonviolent civil disobedience is temperate. For a negative rebuttal, I now point to riots on streets adjacent even to lawful and peaceful marches. So often, temperate resolve is overwhelmed by anger. Also, occupations and obstructions are coercive. If I take over your office or block your car, I am physically preventing you from going where you will and doing what you would. What if you insist? Push comes to shove. Nor is it prudent to make disobedience a norm. Turnabout is fair play. If your group gets its way through civil disobedience, mine may try it next and then another and another. Anti-tax, animal rights, pro-life, pro-choice, Second Amendment, First Amendment, Black Lives Matter, law and order, the list would grow, tying society in knots. The laws we make are all too often flawed, but our law for making laws is just far above the human norm. Respecting law gives democracy its due, which serves the common good. That is my case for the negative position. In summa debate, the affirmative gets the last word. So, returning to the case in favor and rebutting my last argument, I point again to Dr. King. Out of respect for this society and our way of making laws, he accepted the legal penalties for his disobedience. Thus, the law was honored even in the breach. That is why he wrote his case for disobedience from jail. And it was how he aroused the conscience of the nation. He saw the moral cost of civil disobedience and paid the price. Clear thinking harnessed righteous passion in the service of the common good. That way civil disobedience is justified. You be the judge. Concluding, I have one more thing to say. Like human laws, the laws of nature do not fully embody the eternal purposes of God. Today we pray for a baby boy who died in his mother's womb for no apparent reason two weeks before her due date. Last Sunday, we remembered, as we do every year at this time, a baby who had died only shortly after his birth with a genetic condition that had made his early death inevitable. Knowing this, his mother carried him to term courageously and lovingly. These heartbreaking deaths were unjust by any faithful measure. It is so important to our faith that Jesus was a healer. His miracles are epiphanies. The higher law shines through him. Easter is the great epiphany. God's highest law is love, we learned that day. And we see that this law overrules mortality. Set your mind on that, says Paul. Trust these babies to it. Ben and Henry are their names. 
Set your minds on things that are above. That above reaches all the way to heaven. But its starting place is in our souls. Prudence, justice, temperance, and courage get us on our feet and walking. Faith and hope pick up the pace. Love lifts the torch and breaks into a run.